The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Welcome aboard Flight 134 of the Squawk Ident Podcast, recorded on the 29th of May, 2023, from the Aviator Sound Studios, located somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, I'm joined by some fantastic Squawk Ident Podcast crew members. Together, we will discuss why anyone in their right mind would open a cabin door in flight. Maybe to let some fresh air in? I don't know. We listen to some audio feedback. We also hear from Captain Roger's recent Puerto Rico trip and much, much more. But before we get into all those topics, we have the privilege today of having a featured guest on our show. He is a certified flight instructor and a Czech pilot, a former Embraer 145 pilot for Sandpiper Airlines, and currently a Boeing 787 Dreamliner pilot for TransGlobal. He is the co-author of the Airline Transition Manual, and he is here today to discuss his journey in aviation, his new book, and the process of getting it published. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Flight 134 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Joining us today is an outstanding aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, Certified Flight Instructor, and an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us live right here from the Aviator Sound Studios, please help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? It feels weird sitting in this closet that you kept telling me about, but I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm it's excited. It's nice in the closet, Alex. It's nice in here. Well, now this means that I'm going to have to come out of the closet when I'm done with this show. So. Well, when the show's finished, you can leave the closet. Yeah. But for right now, you're in the closet. <laughs> oh, I'm good. Um, doing good. Just uh, finishing up some last little bit of uh, move prep and everything like that. And yeah. we leave in three weeks. So God, Three weeks. Yeah. You're packing up. You're packing yeah. up your whole family and you're moving not just across the town or this next city over you're going to texas what how long is that move going to take so my wife and i are going to drive it uh we we're going to try to leave the day after father's day um and we're going to try to leave nine o'clock in the morning and take two days to get out there albuquerque is going to be our stop for the overnight because oh that's a long stretch I, i can drive i could do the whole drive by myself Wow. I mean, it's pushing it, but you know, it's like 19 hours, you know, let's call it 24 hours with stopping and getting gas and getting food and going to the bathroom and all that. But someone needs to stop and stretch her legs and, you know, and you have children. Well, but the kids aren't going to be with, no, you. they're going to be with dad for the summer. So uh-huh. it's going to be easier, at least on the initial to get everything moved out and get everything set up. Yeah. So, but, but your we, minions won't be there to move boxes for you. No, but well, uh, I'll, I'll enlist the help of some of the people that I know in the Texas area so far. Oh, you think so, huh? Maybe. I mean, I haven't put the, the, <laughs> the text out yet, but thanks Rob. for putting me on blast on that one. Rob, yeah. block your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Rob, Kyle, Mike, you know, a couple yeah, of Mike's neighbors. Yeah, there's a few. a few out there that I could, yeah. you know, lean on. Well, we look forward to, to he- hearing more about that as it comes. And I know a big move like that is always kind of... Well, it's big. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's stressful on yourself, on the family. And so I wish you luck 
Um, I'd say I'd help you, but I'll be here in California and probably flying. So sorry about that. No, you trust me. You're good. I, I, I appreciate the offer, but you're good. We're it's basically all on us now to get everything just kind of situated and, and moved and done. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's about where we're at. Yeah. And you're still flying a full schedule. So yeah. I, know, I managed, I managed to work my schedule till I could get, um, five days off around the move and, uh, a trip that starts a little later. Uh, so if I can move and do some things on that secondary trip after we've moved in, because I know that my wife's going to need the help. So I'm going to try to see, do what I can to, to be there. Yeah. Good man. Good man. Well, I wish you the best, Uh, good luck. And if you need anything at all uh, during the move, uh, give me a call and I'll, uh, I'll give you a, a sympathetic gear at Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate sure. it. Because yeah, that's all that you can do at this point. <laughs> well, you know, one of our co-hosts here, he's he's quietly saying, God, thank God I live on the other side of the country here. Let's introduce him, shall we? Uh, also joining us today is another superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a retired Army colonel, a former Black Hawk battalion commander, and he has commanded Apaches, Black Hawk C-12s, UC-35s, and EMB-145s. He has a master's degree in management and strategic studies. He has currently a Boeing 737 pilot for Trans Global Airlines, a name we use here on the show as an alias to his employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his home studio in Northern Virginia, where he's currently sitting on Long Call Reserve. Help us in welcoming our very own Terry S. Terry, how you doing? Doing okay. Uh, it's been a busy month, but uh, managed to uh, have today be my first uh First day this month where I have sat unused by the scheduling department. So yeah, uh, it's only it's only what the 29th. So Jesus, not Christ. too bad, right? <laughs> only took them, you know, a little month for you to not be used. Only took yeah. them all month. It's yeah. been crazy. So I've they've sat, used you every uh, reserve day so far. I've sat five field standbys this month, and uh, the days that I haven't been sitting field standby, I've been flying. Jeez. Oh wow. So, and, and yeah. help me out here, because uh, you're using terminology, I, I get it, I understand it, but it's a little bit different terminology than what we use over at Legacy Airlines. What is field standby? Sure. So, uh, for us, field standby entails being on the airport property uh, for four hours at a time, so that if there is a flight that uh, where, say, somebody gets sick and it needs to go out or the crew times out they've got a reserve who's sitting there right there at the airport uh ready to go um so i i've only been used on one of those field standby assignments where uh the crew actually timed out and uh both the captain and i were sitting field standby in the crew room and uh, we were able to go and get that flight out uh, within an hour after getting called. So, yeah. uh, makes, makes for, a uh, I don't, I don't want to call it a more efficient operation, but it, it allows the airline to get the flight off the ground, uh, quickly, especially when there's been long delays like that one, that particular flight had been delayed four hours already for maintenance. And that's what caused the crew to time out. So, uh, having us right there, uh, we were able to get those passengers on their way. Yeah. So we, we call it airport standby, which uh, 
legacy doesn't have for the pilots. They have them for the flight attendants, airport standby, but the pilots, they don't. So how do they get around that? Well, they schedule us on three and four hour sits in base. It's not your base, but somebody's base like Charlotte or Dallas or Miami. Or so you've got these three and four hour sits, which I have another one coming up in a few days, three hours and 45 minutes in DFW. You're getting I'm, used. I, you know, I'm basically a line holder reservist. And, and it sucks. And I almost feel like, well, make the junior guys at airports stand by a couple times a month and alleviate those schedule delays. Because really, that three-hour sit in an airport that's noisy and you really don't have any place to lay down. And a lot of times they have crew rooms, sure. But, you know, you, have, you ever wonder what an airline thinks of your your employees or your pilots go look at their crew room and if it looks like the chairs are broken and you know the coffee makers are broken and you know they just they're all haphazardly put together then yeah you know you work for a real airline but i mean anything more than that and you're working for google or yeah, <laughs> amazon or something like that our crew room's nice in dallas we have amazing couches and and lounge chairs and recliners and they're not all broken no and the leather's not all broken yeah and it's it's all and like, the coffee makers actually work yeah i'm gonna go back to freaking i told you i will write you a letter he, he makes more money than i do so <laughs> that's true that's true you know god well so you're you're sitting air you were sitting airport standby or field what do you call it field standby field standby okay and and is that a tough thing is you you think you'll have to do that very long or is it usually the junior pilots get that assignment? Um, it, it's, I mean, if you're on reserve, uh, so, so at Transglobal, everybody starts out on the long call reserve and then crew scheduling converts you mm. um, as necessary uh, to either short call or field standby or yeah. they'll leave you on long call. So like today they left me on long call, but uh I've been converted several times this month. So, you know, some things that uh, I know the uh, negotiating committee is looking at for the next contract uh, and hopefully they're, they're able to get that fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk if we have time. Well, I'd like to ask both of you actually um, about their, your, is it your TA or AIP or has the contract been passed or what's going on over there at Transglobal? Nothing yet. Yeah. Nothing uh, yet. Still negotiating. Still negotiating. Okay. Well, Hopefully, something will come together pretty soon. Um, but let's let's move on because today we're very excited to have a guest and a friend join us today. And he reached out to me not too long ago, as we've kept in touch over the years. Uh, we have a connection that we'll talk about here in a moment. But he, our next guest is a graduate from Southern Illinois University of uh, Carbondale. He was a flight instructor at Ohio University's aviation department, and at OU. He was a CFI, a double I, and a 141 check pilot until he gained employment at Sandpiper Regional, an alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned airlines. In 2018, he was able to acquire a position as a pilot for Trans Global Air. There's your guys' connection. It's another alias to a U.S. Legacy airline. That's where he currently operates a Boeing 787 Dreamliner. That's wicked awesome. He's here today to tell us about his journey in aviation and to discuss his latest book, The Airline Transition Manual, which he co-authored with Richard Swindell and Yolanda Whitvillet. Today, we are very excited to have Andrew Ross join us on Squawk Ident. Andrew, how you doing? 
Estonia, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This is quite, it's funny, well, you can't see the screen, but it's a, my previous job into my new job. It's a it's a fun, uh, fun, ever, you know, whole circle type of situation. Uh, but it's wonderful to be here. It's been an extremely busy month as uh, we kind of talked about prior to starting. And uh, I'm also, Alex, uh, I don't know if you budgeted for blinds yet, but coming on your discussion from last, uh, from Flight 133, it is a, that is the the hidden the hidden horrible part of new builds. It is unbelievably expensive to put blinds on your Joy. on your. That's currently why there's so much natural light coming in here because <laughs> I I'm not going to spend 130 dollars on something that I don't sleep in right now. So Joy, well, um, yeah. thank thanks so for that. that, was, that <laughs> thanks for that. That's just making me regret you know not having blinds put in already. So thanks, appreciate it. But you know what? It's better. It's better than the smoke crusted blinds. If you had not moved, if you had moved in somebody else's house and it's yeah. all yeah. stained with whatever smells yeah. was in their house. So, yeah. you know, take it or leave. This is my second house that I built. I still will do it, but I'll complain about it because I'm a pilot. So I do that. Yeah. Um, the, and then I, I have a good story about sitting, uh, air, uh, well, we'll call it or what, uh, whatever we call it, airport standby. Uh, now I've got it backwards, but I, I get the, the name popped into my head as we were sitting here talking about it, but airport ready reserve as Sandpiper would call it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I actually liked, I liked, uh, I, I, the genesis of this book actually lies in those, that four hour sit. So I'll talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, it's great to be here. I'm honored to be, uh, to be on and happy to, uh, to chat. Yeah, you know, and you and I have a connection that goes way back. Now, you and I first met out on the line over at Sandpiper. I remember, well, I think our most memorable time for me was when I was a Czech airman and we were doing uh, we were doing captain checkouts. You had been blessed by the FAA at that point to do the captain that's fed rides. Right, that's and right. And the first flight we had, we had a double aborted takeoff and the student or the well, student at that point uh, I was the relief pilot checking. You were doing the Fed thing in the jump seat, and we had to abort twice and pulled off. And I'm just looking over at the captain to be said, "Is it? What do you think we should do? You know, playing remember, that yeah. check airman role." And <laughs> and you're looking at him, and we're both looking at him like, "Come on, come on, come on!" He goes, "Well, I think we should go back to the gate." I'm like, "Oh, that's the best thought you've ever had." Because <laughs> I thought I was afraid he was going to try to do it again. Like this is gonna be the same thing. So he passed that day, but oh, we were what like three hours late. All it was was a Lexington turn. We did a check there and a check on the way back, and it turned three hours late. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but that—that's my most memorable. My most memorable time with you was uh, folding ourselves into that airplane. Yeah, so. yeah. So yeah, maybe that. I mean, because I know we've flown together a few times, and but I do remember that now that you mentioned, that, I completely black blocked that out. But yeah, uh, towards the end of my career there, I was, um, like you said, blessed by our, uh, what's he called? Not the not POI. The, POI. Yeah, POI. Yeah. Um, and he said, hey, I, you know, we've run out of budget. We have so many captain upgrades happening at the time. And we, we were almost hiring street captains. And we have so many that the FAA can't sit there and budget to have me out of the office to go and sit there on the line day in day out so what i'm going to do is i'm going to take some senior check airmen that i know i can you know trust and i appreciate their their work ethic and everything and and he was familiar with us and had done plenty of observations on us at the time and he took uh, myself and uh max friend i believe was the other 
mm-hmm. uh, Chicago yep. based uh, Czech airman that was blessed by the uh, what they called FAC, an FA authorized Czech airman. And so instead of the FA sitting in the jump seat doing the Fed ride, they would have us do it. And we would sit there in the jump seat. And then you were the Czech airman that was sitting in the FO seat, and you were still signing the book. And here's something that maybe our listeners don't realize, that when you upgrade to captain, you go through your training, you go through the simula- simulator uh, checkout, and you get your type rating, and you have your certificate in your pocket, but you haven't completed your IOE, your mandatory hours of observation from a check airman. So until that happens, you sit in the left seat, you are, by all accounts, the captain, but you're not signing the book. The flight log, the AML, whatever you call your company calls it, you're not fl- you're not signing that. The check airman is still responsible because you haven't been completely signed off yet. So you're, you know, you're having the check airman sign the book, but you, they're observing you do all your captain duties and making, most importantly, those captain decisions. And yeah, I can remember that we had to abort. Do you remember what it was the cause for the abort? It was a silly uh, anti-ice failure. Like it was a caution message. It was, it was, we knew it was just some computer thing that was going on where they had to go in the back and like reset the box or something. And you would, because it was something where as soon as you got it above 55% or, or 55 degrees in the throttle quadrant, and that's when it would, it would go off. Yeah. So we knew it was, we knew it was not a real problem, but you still couldn't go. So we were just like, yeah. Okay. And so, so that would bait twice. a lot of people. Yeah. To like, well, you know, it's, I know it's mm-hmm. spurious. Let's go out and let's go anyway. Right. And yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember looking over going, hmm, let's see. <laughs> Cause I can't say anything. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah. You can't say, and I don't want to say anything because it's his check ride. So right. I was like, well, yeah, good choice. But Very good yeah, choice. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. great memory. Thank you for bringing that back. So, and you stayed on yeah. to, to there. We'll, we'll talk about your journey and how long you were there at Sandpiper um, as well. But um, your journey obviously started somewhere, right? Everyone has their story. Yeah. Most people think, oh, I was three years old and I was looking up and I, I saw the, these things called chemtrails. No, I mean, I saw an airplane. And <laughs> it's <laughs> how did your journey begin? Were you very young and into that kind of stuff or... Was there anyone that particularly started it for you? I will say that it was no one. I was self-started, definitely not self-funded, but certainly self-started. I, there's nobody in my family. I am the first and anomaly and I'm the only one still. No, I don't even have, we don't have flight attendant. We don't have a technician. We don't have a manager in our family. We have nobody. So it really came from going back and forth to Ohio where all of my extended family was. Mm-hmm. And we would travel on another airline. I don't even to pay whoever, you know, was cheaper at the time. And we would go down to Columbus and I fell in love with that process. And then every time we passed by the airport, I would just be glued outside and then model airplanes, which you can't see, but they're above me or will be above me when I get them unpacked. Uh, That kept feeding into it. And I, at one point, I think in middle school, my mom was like, Oh, Andrew, you want to, you want to go, you want to go take flying lessons. And I, she goes, you know, we were actually by an an airport in Chicago called Schaumburg airport, which we all pass over going into O'Hare. And she goes, oh, we can get you private or get you. She didn't know what it was. She said, we can take, give you a lesson in a propeller airplane. I said, no, that's okay. If I go do that for a living, I'm just going to fly the jets. Uh, of course, <laughs> having no idea how that process worked whatsoever. But, but the moral of that story was that I came with, I was blessed to have two very, very, very incredibly supportive parents who knew nothing about it, but were still willing to let me go and 
try it and through just fact finding and doing some research and actually going down to where I eventually went, Southern Illinois, I they they did various Back in 2004, the industry was still not doing well. They were doing general aviation career days. So we would travel and they would send advertisements all over the the state um, and surrounding states. And we would all drive down and we would see airplanes. And that's where I really understood or started to understand what I actually had to do to become a pilot. And so I came back from that in my junior year, fall of junior year of high school, I said, okay, I'm going to go do this. Uh, Funny thing about me up until that point is I had absolutely no uh, ambition outside of hanging out with friends and or taking my study seriously in any any capacity. Didn't even know what a good GPA was supposed to be. Um, I wasn't a bad kid. I just didn't care. Like I had no I had no desire to do any of it. It just didn't didn't do anything for me. But aviation kind of was that turning point. And as soon as I got into that. I started, I started becoming embarrassed at my GPA. I started, you know, I, I wound up, gra- get this, I undug myself out of my horrible GPA and still graduated with a horrible GPA, but it was, my ACT score was good enough. And then I already had my private by the time I went to college that nice. I was able to, to, you know, sucker my way into a, a great school. But yeah. they, that was, that gets into my purpose. And so from coming from high school where I had no ambition to do anything, aviation was my path to the rest of my life. And, and eventually not only did I hate school so much, I went from hating school so much. I actually did get my master's a couple of years ago in something completely unrelated to aviation and organizational leadership with a focus in nonprofit management. Um, and oh, that was cool. just for fun. I did that for fun. I, which is, yeah. And how <laughs> you went to school so, for fun. Hey, don't knock it. Okay. I'm not, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a melodic. I'm, I'm giving you the credit no. for getting your master's, but. And I've always been interested <laughs> to, to do that. And I thought, well, I could do it online while I'm on layovers. I could be, you know, turning in papers and doing stuff online. But yes. how did you do that? How did you keep a full schedule and have the time to get everything done under deadline? <laughs> <laughs> being on a big, being on a big airplane. I think that's about the only way I can answer that because when I got hired at, at trans global, I got hired <laughs> into the 757, 767 mm-hmm. fleet here. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the the thing that a lot of pilots don't like to say is that we have a lot of time on our hands off more often than not. And when you get to bigger airplanes, you have even more time on your hands because while you're flying is eight, nine hours at a time, you're sitting for 24 hours in between that and your flight leaves late and it gets back early. So you wind up having this huge amount of time. So that helped me. Um, Because I wound up sitting around and even commuting, commuting was cake. If you're commuting, yeah, you can do all of this stuff from the road because you're just doing it in the back of the airplane. So, um, so yeah, the that's how I that's 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 kind of how I did. It. I got lucky basically because I actually got accepted into the program back at Sandpiper, got offered the job at Trans Global, and then I put the masters on hold because I didn't want to do papers and a type ride and learn a new airline <laughs> and commute yeah, to smart. the coast. Yeah. Um, so I did that. Now, where so were you that's based how that when happens. you first started over at uh, Transglobal? The Bay, San Francisco. Our entire class was sent there. So you did oh. the opposite of what I was doing when I was in Chicago. I was living in California for a time in San Francisco, for most of the time in Los Angeles, and even some time up in Seattle. And I was doing the 
East Coast to get to work. And uh, you were doing the opposite, which I guess is beneficial if you think about it, because I had to leave at Dark 30 in order to mm-hmm. get to Chicago on time for my sign-in, because I didn't want to have to come in the night before. And as long as I was senior enough to hold a line that started after noon, I could do it. But for you, you actually had a little bit of a benefit because you're coming from Chicago and you're going to the East Coast. So you're going to gain those two hours. It gives you a little bit more flexibility. I actually never commuted out the day before. Well, I did once because I picked up a trip on purpose that left early, but I never commuted out the day before a trip because <laughs> you could leave at 6 a.m. Central time and yeah. you could get there at 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific. Yeah. And you were, you, all of our stuff left around then. The only sacrifice was is that you lost your entire day going home. Yeah. So even if I left, the earliest we could get off on our last day was like 10 a.m. So like the soonest I could get home, I would land at like 6 p.m. Yeah. So you basically lost your entire last day or your day off the next day, but I, yeah, that's fine. Oh, well, you pay your dues somehow. I just paid them on the front end, and you paid that's them on the back end. That's absolutely true. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, so, that's you, right. so you you had this aspiration to go after an an aviation career, and when you realized that you can't just like step into the jet, you had to hit those propellers. How did you transition from there? You were building your time and getting your private and your instrument over at Schaumburg. Is that right? And then did you go to an aviation school over in Southern Illinois or how did that work? Yeah. So I, I, in high school, it was closer to me from where I lived to, to DuPage airport, which is Southwest of the uh, Schaumburg's like to do West, but DuPage airport is Southwest of O'Hare. Yeah. And there was a flight school there um, that awesome. They're still there. They uh, I got my private through them. And then Southern Illinois University has a large aviation program. And that was who my original instructor was his. He was a graduate from there. So oh, okay. I he I was already thinking about it because I had went down there for the the career fair. And then having him, who was a, just a phenomenal a pilot, he could, you know, as our as all of our first flight instructors are, right? Mm-hmm. They're all the the best. They're people. all aviation oh, yeah. gods. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. I <laughs> uh, still hear their voice in your head, whether it's accurate information or not. You still hear it. Um, what so do you think he, we should do? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, more was just. <sighs> yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's mad again. Um, as a high school, you're teaching a high schooler. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, um, the. So, so that, so I went to Southern, got all of my other ratings there, instructed part-time. I, from there, I went to Hewlett Packard. I did, I had, it was off or I'm sorry. I don't know if we can say that. Uh, it doesn't matter because they really don't have a corporate flight department anymore, but Hewlett Packard was for an internship mm. that had, at the time they had seven Gulfstream fives. They flew all over the world. It was an incredible operation. Wow. Um, the CEO at the time hated flying yet. He loved the plane. So that happened, but unfortunately, just like most things that do happen or some, some things that the, the, I guess, common story in corporate aviation is that that CEO left, the next CEO came in, uh, lived in Germany, that CEO lasted six months. The next person who came in, I believe is still the current CEO of one half of HP. They split the company and now they have two G5s between both companies. None of my friends worked there anymore. And at the time when I got done with the internship, it ended in like early September, 2009. Mm. Horrible time to graduate, by the way, a horrible time to try to find a flying job. This, this internship was a godsend in the moment. At the time I was planning on just going and mowing lawns like I did in high school. 
So that came along, helped me greatly, but I was left with a goal. I can't hire you as a Gulfstream pilot with 700 hours. You need to go get your time. And I said, okay, I'll suck it up. Once the airlines start hiring, I guess I'll go to the airlines. So, you know, fast forward to, you know, getting, getting back into Carbondale, the school was in a really bad financial position as is most of the state of Illinois pretty much still is, but the, they couldn't hire anybody there. And the first person that I got my double eye while I went back. So it was kind of like extracurricular stuff, double eye road papers, something, anything to get basically a, a student loan so I could live. And then Ohio university needed an instructor for through their connection with SIU. And I said, I got to go where the flying is. And I went to OU and I taught there until Sam Piper started hiring at the same time as another regional. They were the first two to hire right after the 2008 meltdown. And we had an agreement at Southern Illinois with them that it was somewhat under the table and it's kind of laughable now, but as soon as you get a thousand hours, they'll, they'll talk to you, which back then you only needed, you know, your, your commercial multi, they didn't care. You didn't, right. cause you could fly as an FO. Right. Right. So that agreement got me into Sandpiper when it did. Yeah. So uh, from there in March, 2011, I stayed there until Transglobal called and actually Transglobal called in 2017 and then they stopped onboarding for a while. <laughs> so I actually waited for about six months for a class date and then went to Transglobal in May of 2018 and was there ever since. But that's kind of my path to get here. And by the way, I realized when I got to Sandpiper, what a wonderful thing a schedule is. Um, because even though we complain about our schedule, that is... That and we heard about it, I think, in it was either 133 or 132 about how it is great that you go and you spend, you know, a week somewhere, but also the CEO can decide to leave or whoever owns it, whatever high value individual wants to go, that's when they go. Like, right. that's not up to you. Right. They own the airplane. Oh, yeah. What, so, Roger, what Roger was talking about. Yeah. yeah with the, yeah. the on demand. Yeah. 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 So I, I decided uh, airlines are, I, they mesh with me surprisingly again, and especially going through flight training in between 04 all the way to 2009, when the airlines were getting the rap that they were, there was pretty much, I was just, oh, yeah, give me the company credit card and tell me to spend less than $50 on the steak. Sure, I'll go. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is... Uh, think things happen for a reason. So that's where I, why I am where I'm at now. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're telling me this story and I haven't thought about this probably since you and I, I think we flew together. I think you were my FO at one point and you, we went on a run and you were like, Hey, that's HP. I used to fly for them. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 They're, they had a very distinct, uh, very distinct paint job, which they were just starting to phase out because of the, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but in 2007 or I think 2007 or 2008, when all of the auto industry was collapsing and the TARP funds were initiated, that was in 08, 09. But remember when all of those uh, companies sent their corporate jets to testify to Congress, and that made like front page news. <laughs> yeah. They were these corporate operators who, for a long time, it was like, hey, you know, whatever, my paint job looks the same across my whole fleet. We have like a fleet of airplanes. Walmart did it, I think. You know, HP definitely did it. Yeah. They realized immediately, oh, no, this is a liability. We yeah. got to change all this. So they uh, <laughs> they went to an art, you know, paint shop and they were like, all right, give us seven different. You, you dealer's choice, like yeah. just paint them something else that they just look like, you know, they can't tell the difference between anybody else. Exactly. So, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to start happening at some of these uh, legacy airlines too. Oh. <laughs> no <gonna> start, yeah. <laughs> well, so your your journey has been very unique. That you've kind of started putting your toe in one of the pools and decided, well, you know, that one's a, it's getting it's getting a little cold in that one. So you start running over to this one, and you're like, oh, this one, I like this one, you know. And and you've you've done this. You've kept an open mind. You didn't get stuck in one way of thinking and you've been very flexible and that's i think the important lesson here is that you have kind of always been looking forward at a new direction a new opportunity even with the schooling you looked for an opportunity you found it you put it on hold for a while that's really inspiring to hear and thank you for sharing that with us because i think there are a lot of those listeners out there that think well you know i made it i'm a pilot now you know i work for a regional i'm flying an an actual jet you know great but you don't want to be one of those crotchety old captains and we've all flown with them and go listen son when i was starting out i was making 12 bucks an hour and living off a can of franken beans and you know (laughs) it's like great and now you're making a little bit more money but you're still living off a can of franken beans so where'd you go (laughs) you've been working for the same company for the last 35 years um so it's good i mean i'm glad that you have shared that with us now you're here because you know, we're friends, we've, we've flown together in the past, we have a history, but you did something very, very inspiring. And you co-authored this book here, The Airline Transition Manual. Um, I've been very fortunate to, to get a copy. Thank you for sending that to me. It was wonderful. Um, we were, I've been looking through it, and I was telling you before the show that I've been carrying this, this book around with me, and I've been sitting there, you know, on that free time that we have. Not on the line. Um, you know, you're not, not while I'm flying. I'm just, you know, sitting there at the gate, waiting, delayed aircraft maintenance, whatever. And I've been pulling the book out and I've been showing my, my, my captain or another, my, some flight attendants that are interested in aviation. Hey, check out this book. What do you think? You know, um, and it's a really helpful book, you know, and there, there are plenty of books out there that say, Hey, you know, this is what you need to know. Why did you decide to get into this venture? Hmm. So, well, actually, this is a good then segue to talk about uh, field standby. So when I was not when I was no longer San Francisco based and the the airline gods saw fit that I should go to the complete opposite uh, coast on my way back to the middle part of the country, I was sitting field standby on day one or two or three. I don't remember of this reserve assignment. And they would do this because we had this huge bank of flights that would go to Europe at like between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. And so they would have two of us sit there in case weather happened, anything weird were to happen. They would they would send us out on these flights either to without getting into a big, big discussion about augmentation versus unaugmented flying. If we needed a third pilot or we needed a fourth pilot, we would just go and do that. So. I, I had seen Richard, who's the lead author of this book. I saw him that day. We were I was eating and he uh, he saw me he said, hey, what's going on? And I uh, Richard and I had known each other. I should back that up. Richard and I had known each other and worked together when I was an airline pilot association rep at uh, Sandpiper. Um, when I was a rep at Sandpiper, we I did many different things. And one of the things was. I I was asked to go be part of the education committee, and I still am. Actually, I still do that at a national level. And we go to schools, we go to 
we we really set up the infrastructure for the elementary and middle school visits, some high school stuff. We've gotten into some Boy Scout events because we now have a Redbird tabletop simulator that we'll send to events, which is really cool. Um, so that, but I've been part of that that group for a very very long time. But Richard was actually in charge of a of a group called the Pilot Development Group, and education at one point fell under the pilot development group. So Richard was technically our committee's boss. Okay. Yolanda, who's the other co-author of this book, she was at the time the membership, the national membership committee chair. Hmm. And that, and PDG was a subcommittee to her committee. So she was in charge of, of that group who was in charge of Richard's group, who was in charge of Michael. So we had worked together many, many times over the years. And when I came to Transglobal, Yolanda was actually my check uh, airman for the 757. When I came out, we saw each other in training at one point. She goes, oh, you should tell me, you should ask me, you should ask for me. I said, okay, let's go, let's go fly. Let's go have some fun. We went to Zurich. We did a domestic trip together. It was a lot of fun. It was nice to know each other and not a professional capacity. So that that happened, and then fast forward. Then we'll fast forward to when Richard and I ran into each other, and Richard was the senior uh, seven sixty seven pilot in the base at the time. And we ran into each other. He saw me while I was eating, and we just pleasantries exchanged. And a minute or two later, I asked him what he was doing. He said, "Oh, he's going to London," which is a very very normal thing for us to do. And he said, uh, "But I have the ten p.m. It's just me and the other captain." So there was no third relief pilot. I said, wow, that sounds miserable. Good luck with that. He was already drinking a venti uh, Starbucks and he was going to go and do that plus a triple shot into it as well to go across the pond. I was like, wow. So I get a call from scheduling a few minutes later and they go, hey, you're on this trip because there's storms off to the west that are going to be coming through. They're going to time out immediately. So we're going to put you on as a relief pilot. So then I passed him. I, I went down into operations to do the crew briefing and I beat him there somehow. And the captain and I are talking and Richard walks up and he goes, Hey, nice. You know, see you again. I'm glad you had good dinner. He goes to print the paperwork. And I had the paperwork sitting in front of me. I, said, I don't think he's looked at his schedule yet. And sure enough, he comes back and I'm like, I already got the paperwork. And he goes, why'd you get the paperwork? You're not going. I said, you should check your schedule. We're, we're augmented now, baby. I'm going with, you can't, can't kick me off. So from that, <laughs> we, we saved, we saved, you know, if, if, the funny story was that no, nothing actually happened. We beat the storms out by like 30 minutes, but it could have. Right. So sure. they put me on, made their life easy because now they get a rest break. Mm -hmm. So coming back, because nothing, no great conversations really happen at night. So, you know, we're all just, you know, okay, how you doing? How you been? That type of thing. Just trying to keep alert. But on the way back, we're like on our body clock where it's later in the day, we're ready to, we're talking. And I had mentioned that I was doing my master's and what, you know, what I had been doing on the overnight I was probably writing a paper. And he said, oh, that's cool. In the military, I got my doctorate. In actually, his doctorate thesis was in uh, union study or something. Yeah, I'm forgetting exactly what it is, and he'll he'll. I ask him for it every time, and I can't remember exactly what the term is. But his master's is in, is in organizational leadership as well. With that, and I told him, oh, I have this company that I think I want to do, and this is what, I, and I'm also going to get an executive coaching certification and all this other stuff. He said, okay, well, you're, you got to write all this down. You got to do that anyway. So we had this really really productive conversation about doing a master's program and doing. Um, being, you know, kind of our futures and stuff like that. And then we parted ways. And two weeks later, he gives me a call and says, hey, Yolanda and I have had this idea for a company that we batted around for quite a while. 
and we want to and we want to know what you want what if you want to come in and kind of either consult on it or be a part of it or do whatever and the idea was and and I think everybody will know some because we all have now some variation of this uh transglobal calls it uh, professional pilot development class PPD but the idea was that they were seeing a lot of new hire pilots come in that had no idea how to actually operate in the airline environment. Right. Now, Richard came from Air Wisconsin. So I don't know if we call that something. I'm sorry. Uh, Richard came from that, that, from that regional and he decided that he had seen how that really works, right? When you started a regional airline, they spoon feed you 121 regulations. You do not have to figure it out on your own. Mm. Yes, I can't speak for legacy, but Transglobal, yeah, they, it's it. You get like five minutes. They're yeah. like, okay, there's this thing called an AML, and it's going to print off electronically questions. And in class, there were a few military people flanking me, and and they would we'd get through this, you know, rapid fire PowerPoint, and then go on to the next leadership building thing that we had to do. And they would look over at me and go, what did we just talk about? Yeah. What is that? There's a printer in the airplane? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really, really a frustrating thing. But I realized that what they were seeing was they were seeing the product of people that had come that didn't need to make that stop at a regional airline. They, right. they are seeing these people that had to make this jump. And it was specifically the military pilots that were having the most issue now. Now, Richard is an F-15. He, like I said, he had his doctorate, his doctorate in the Air Force and everything. Richard was an, it was an F-15 pilot and retired out of the military as an F-15 pilot or, or finished his deployment as an, as an F-15 pilot before he went civilian. So, so he, we kind of asked him, like, if you didn't, if you had skipped your regional airline and just went directly to United, what questions would you have had? Because a lot of this stuff, there is no real there's there's no book like this book that basically tells you from start to finish this is how the airlines operate this is how you operate at the airline because there's plenty of books that talk about regs there's plenty of books that talk about flying a jet or flying IFR or doing anything and they all are really good at doing that but nobody tells you how to bid a schedule nobody tells you what bidding is scheduled nobody right. tells you Nobody tells you how to non You learn on we the also line. T- you learn while yeah, you're you out learn there. on the line. We God. hated that saying. I was gonna, that's yeah. a terrible saying. That that's what still that's still idea. it's still in the schoolhouse today. Like I went through not too long ago, and it's like, oh, don't worry about that. You'll you'll get that on the line. And all of us are like, oh, yeah, why? even at the regional at this point, since the AQP program has been adopted, the advanced qualified uh, training program. Um, since that's been adopted, they're only hitting the mandatory things, mm-hmm. and a lot of this stuff, like you said, like what happened to you over at Transglobal. You know, they just kind of skimmed over it and they're like, oh, you'll figure it out on, on the line. You got plenty of time. It's not a big deal. So this is a great book that kind of outlines each step of that progress. What you and I went through over at Sandpiper, like how many how many weeks did we go through the what they called the FM or the flight manual? Like Legacy calls it the FOM, Flight Operations Manual. Wait, you guys went through weeks of going through this? Yeah. We had We didn't even week. do systems after we, seven. We, we had a week you know, five days of, oh no five five days that's that's it it was a little technically four and a half because the the fifth day was the the test <laughs> oh. so the, the test no, the of preacher, the fom which was all open book yeah right yeah and it's it's that way everywhere but the but the preacher would get up every day for two weeks and would open the book and say chapter one Oh, this is what you should highlight in the book because this is how old we have paper yeah <laughs> i, w- I would have killed to have had that we paper. went through and like 
our our instructor, I, I'm he was awesome, but no one knew he was the instructor the like the first day, and the so we get in in our our training and they do their little spiel. We come in, we choose our base and airplane and all that, and by like ten o'clock, everybody's out. And now it's like to the instructor of like, oh okay, cool. I guess I'm gonna you know instruct now. Well, we didn't realize he was the instructor. He's just this old guy just sitting in the corner, and he gets up and he's like, well let me go see if I need to put you guys on break or, or anything. And like for the next two days we had him and he would literally stand in front of the screen of the PowerPoint, looking at it and just go, uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. To himself, mind you, like I was probably from, uh, well, Tony from like your, your one side of the room to the other yeah. to him. Like that's how close I was. I was in the front row and he, he was mumbling to himself going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Next. All right. And then turn around and go, you guys all get that? All right, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, and next. All right, you guys get that? And by like the, the sixth slide of that, like people in the, the our, our class are sitting there going, the fuck did, what, what was that? Like, the fuck did he just say? Like, mind you, I'm close enough to him to hear him mumble. Oh my God. So I would have killed to have had two weeks of going through, hey, you should highlight this. Hey, we didn't even talk about the release, like our actual flight release, that the same thing you guys get. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about that. And by the time we got to CPTs, no one had seen an actual flight release because, well, apparently it was supposed to be covered in, you know, the the week yeah. that we had FOM training and mm-hmm. we were all probably about, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what led that's, to this book. That's what, that's what, <laughs> yeah. You guys got together yeah. and you said, Hey, there's a need here. It's mm-hmm. a great need. And so how did that progress into, okay, let's write a book about this. So this actually, the, actually the name of our now of our company, the publishing company, VATH, is actually stands for Veteran Airline Transition Handbook. Because the way this actually started was it was going to target specifically military people. And a company that does a lot of interview prep read the first draft and went, no, 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 no. Everybody needs this book. You go back, you're going to have to, and that set us back like three months when we went back and basically scrubbed the military jargon out of everything. And you'll see it every now and again, you're going to read passages that are like, what does that mean? And it's because we just didn't catch it all. Um, And no editor would catch it because they don't editors don't know the difference between your, what you, especially somebody who isn't a pilot um, won't be able to catch that subtle difference between what is jargon for for military versus jargon for, for aviation. Uh, So You'll still see some of that, but the actual the actual book started like that. And actually, it started before that. Originally, they were the, the, their original idea was to grow a online training program that people could sit through that wouldn't touch this, but it would touch etiquette. It would touch non-rev travel, which actually mm-hmm. there's, there's a reason that's a big section of this book. And that goes back to all of our union backgrounds, because that's one of the things that we heard a lot about when we were representatives was non-rev travel abuse. Right. And there are countless, countless instances of pilots, new pilots, even senior pilots, of course, but, but a lot of new pilots. And a lot of times it was the new hires that were getting busted for things that were absolutely ridiculous. Like it's no harm, no foul. It should not cause heartburn, but for the managers, it does. It justified their existence a little longer. So they were excited to get somebody in trouble. And that was my job was to get them out of trouble. But that's why, that's why that's a big section is trying to explain in as broad yeah. a terms that applies to many, many different airlines what you should and should not do generally. So, um, so yeah, that's how that, 
that's how that kind of grew and and morphed into what is the final product in your hands, which is the airline transition manual. Yeah. And is there a favorite, like what you had the most joy uh, writing about in this book? I mean, because in here you talk about everything from aeromedicals, alcohol and drugs, operational knowledge, tra- training survival, which is <laughs> really a great chapter to talk about how to go through training and how to, how to run the gauntlet and get it done and not go down a road of wasted time um, bidding your schedule. I mean, that's something that and you ask anybody in training at a new hire or an in-doc and they're going to tell you, oh, you're going to learn that on the line. Don't worry about that right now. Just focus on the systems and all that stuff. So, I mean, here you are, you kind of help explain the scheduling process and even sleep, which I appreciate because that's a topic we, I've been talking about since the beginning of the podcast, how important it is to stay healthy, to get your sleep because you know, the old pilots don't get jet lag. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. I'm living proof. I have jet lag right now. <laughs> um, so you, you talk about this in the book and it, all the way down to, you know, union contracts and everything else. So is there a section or a segment in this book that you really feel strongly about more than others? That is so hard. And I, I'll tell you this, you'll find this a little entertaining. I hope you'll find it entertaining because I laugh about it. We all laugh about it collectively as a company. When we originally decided to write the veteran airline transition handbook that morphed into ATM, the, the statement out of Richard's mouth was, yeah, I guess we could just write this book real quick and then we can launch that. And uh, yeah, then we can just have that go and then we'll, you know, create this other stuff. And we're like, Sure. It sounds great. Cause none of us had written a book. I love reading, but that doesn't mean that I've written a book. And they, so we foolishly kind of went into this thinking, Oh, this will be something quick. We'll knock it out in a month. But we started writing this in October, 2019. Wow. Okay. So, and which also, when was was published date? (laughs) Yeah. 2021. uh, And, and, and that is, that is a whole other story. But but what we did is we decided, okay, what do we want to talk about? Richard gave us the list of stuff he wished he knew. And we all kind of, we started, we just went start to finish with it. Uh, the spouse chapter, I, well, actually, hold on, I'm, I'm just skipping around. Some of us started certain chapters and then we all would go in and we would all pass drafts back and forth. And it became a 20 draft handoff basically between all the chapters and stuff like that. There were certain chapters at the very end that we added like the contingency plan that was not in there in 2019. Uh, That was a very last minute ad, which is why it's also like five pages long, but the favorite chapter, I think it depends to me on, on who I'm talking to, because if I'm talking to a high school uh, student or somebody just starting out, I'd say, I want you to focus on those first five chapters. And then I want you to focus on the FAR chapter. If I'm talking to somebody who's at the end of CFI, I really want them to focus on training. And then I also want them to focus on unions because but then that's coming back from my education committee world, because I hated the, well, the whole point of the education committee was so that new hires wouldn't show up day one of class or day two, I think, when the union comes in and goes, hey, we're out, but you have no choice but to sign up. <laughs> like, it's, it's really bad sales it. techniques. I believed it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, so, you know, that's, I would say that's important when I'm, when I'm talking. So there's a lot of things. I, I love the spouse chapter, though. And I've had a few spouses read this chapter. I've had, we had, of course, all everybody that we knew that we had, they had spouses. We had them read it. Um, a few of the people that we've submitted the book to to review, 
that have been lucky enough to basically what these companies do is you tell them, Hey, this is our book. And they go find somebody that has, they hope some sort of background in it. And then they just go point blank, read this book. And the first review we ever got back like this, the, the person who interviewed it, her uncle or father was a pilot and she did not understand what was really going on with them until she reviewed our book. She goes, all I knew is that he was gone for everything. All I knew is that he would leave randomly in the middle of dinner. All I knew is that what she saw and she wrote a really, really heartfelt portion at the very end that I don't think she wanted to be published or she didn't want. She basically said, thank you for making me understand my family. And it was like, wow, that's really, really good. And I, I still have the, the review that I print whenever we go somewhere. I put it out because I want people to read it. And I don't think that the book, you, I don't think you should buy the book just to give it to your spouse. But I think that if you're going into this field and I've, I've, uh, I've consulted many, many different people who have uh, through the education committee, not consult, but I've talked to, talked to a bunch of people through the education committee because the, the union gets a lot of emails from outside, just people that stumble upon cleartodream.org or anything like that and say, Hey, I'm thinking about a second career. Can I talk to you? And we'll pick up the phone and we'll go, what do you want to know? We're not here to sell you on it. Just what do you want to know? We're going to tell you what it's like. And that's kind of what this is, but it's good to have somebody pull it up and go, okay, you're my partner. I read this. Are you willing to accept this contract? Because sometimes that doesn't happen. And or sometimes that that gets lost in translation. So we felt that was a very important, a very important chapter to add into the book as well. So the totality of the book is what's really what I'm proud of because we all wrote so much of each of the drafts of each chapter that all of our voices are somewhere. I can still, even after an editor goes through and scrubs and goes, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to write this or not write it, but I'm going to try to make it so that it sounds like it's one voice. The tone may change, but the voice has to be consistent. And you, you, get an end result where you're still looking. I'm like, yeah, I remember writing that. And I, yep, I wrote, Oh, that's definitely Yolanda's tone. Oh, that's Richard's tone, you know? Um, so there's still enough of our personality after the editing and the, and the 85 drafts that go on between one chapter that it's, it's, but it's still enough to say like, wow, this is all really fun. Uh, the tribal knowledge chapter is real fun because I love talking about airports. So that's probably just my default one. I wish we had, I wish our layout designer had done a cooler job with it. We, we she literally had wonderful. The book turned out. Okay. Our next edition, which we just started working on, we're going to blow the book up uh, design wise and change it up a lot. But um, I really wanted that section to come out different, but it's one of our favorite sections because it's all the things that is the on the line knowledge that you're going to get other than bidding and stuff like that. But like, that was like, don't worry about it. You'll figure out, yeah, oh, here it's weird. They go counterclockwise and clockwise, like whatever it's fine, which now you can't even do that. We already have to rewrite that because they're blowing up alpha and Bravo right now. So that's yeah, not that's, even yeah. going to happen for much yeah. longer, which is terrible. It's so sad to me. Although why in God's name, I'm sorry. You know, if anybody from the Chicago department of aviation is listening, why during COVID did you not just redo Bravo? You had all the opportunity in the world to redo that taxiway when nobody was using it. No, I'm. I want Victor to be redone. Victor out to to two two. Was it two two left or two two right? Yeah, two two left. Yeah, is it? Uh, well, 
Yeah, that is getting kind of rough. Now. Victor, Victor's yeah. getting really rough. The pot, you know, I used to know every single pothole, and I could, I could, <laughs> you know, go left and right on the yellow line. You can't, so that you can't do you that can't anymore. Do yeah. it anymore. Yes. Too many damn potholes. Yes. You, you go <laughs> left, and, you go left, and you're hitting something. You go right, you're hitting something. I used yeah. to know every single one, and yeah. I'd slow down, and I'd, and sometimes like when you're a young fo and you really don't know what's going on, the captain all of a sudden is taxing at a good clip, and they slow down all of a sudden. You're like, what, what, what what's going on? There's a, there's a big puddle here and then you feel the airplane go dunk, dunk, and you're like oh wow you knew what that was good <laughs> no, my favorite is the metal plates they just lay out in the middle of the taxiways yeah, that's everywhere oh, yeah. Dallas, too. yeah but uh, and i love this and, and in this section here that you have uh for the spouses you know you have these little uh jokes every once in a while in here you know how was copper wire invented two pilots were fighting over <laughs> a penny <laughs> Yolanda, yeah, you're sitting here. You're reading. I, can, I can tell you that 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 was a Yolanda joke. Was, you, know? <laughs> you know, what does a pilot say on a first date? Enough about flying. Let's talk about me. God, I can't. Did you guys quote me? Did you? There's a microphone on. One of those? <laughs> just, I don't know. But so this book, it's no. It, they just clipped it to my lapel. We'll be right back right after a brief message from our sponsors. Now this this book absolutely fantastic way, especially if you're a CFI right now out in the industry, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make three hundred thousand dollars my first couple of years. Uh, I don't need a book like this. Highly, highly disagree with that. Keith, Tony's talking to you. Keith, 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 uh, Keith Griffin. He's oh, at Keith, UND. We're going to talk about Keith. Yeah. Yeah. No, different Keith. I got different two Keith. two Keiths. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. There's two of them. Yeah. So don't don't think that. You know, the industry is doing great and I got it made and I'm going to show up and I'm just, uh, I'm God's gift to aviation. You need something like, I wish I had this because I would have read this cover to cover before day one over at Sandpiper mm-hmm. and I would have walked in with a little bit more confidence and I would have been able to focus on what was important and not worry about the small stuff. Tony and I were just having this conversation beforehand. I, this, if I would have known this was around, I would have bought this, but I bought, uh, was it every, everything explained for the professional pilot. And it's a, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a good book to transition you from piston to, to turbine. But there's nothing talking about like what you guys talk about of like union stuff or bidding or training process or anything like that in that book. It's literally just the meat and potatoes. It's not Very technical. Yeah, it's it's, it's a technical aspect yeah. of it. Not, hey, this is reserves. Hey, this is an interview process. This is, you know, operational knowledge of an airline versus this is the technical side of an airliner, you know, and, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that's not a good book, but I would have been more prepared going into Sandpiper with this reading cover to cover than I would have by, you know, getting the technical knowledge. So I, I appreciate it heavily. Oh, thank Well, thank you. That's, and I, I, well, and, and honestly that actually everything explained by the professional pilot was a big, what do you call it? Not motivator influence, because that was our kind of thought was if we can do that with airline operations, that would be helpful in a big way because everything explained for the professional pilot is a key resource for a lot of students. One of the ones that I've recommended since I was instructing. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I definitely, as, as someone looking back at this going through, cause I just went through, I'm, you know, a year and a half into, to Sandpiper now um, looking back, I would have killed, I would have murdered somebody to have this book. 
So, and, well, and thank you. Speaking That's of murdering someone to have this book, for all those listeners out there that are maybe getting ready to transition to an airline or see that in their near future and they want to be as prepared as possible, where can they get this book? <laughs> Ter- Terry's got the website. He's got it up. Yeah, airlinetransition.org. Uh, there is a, uh, a page that says buy now. Click on that. You get uh, a few options to, to purchase. And uh, yeah, I'm about to do that. So. <laughs> The podcast. I'll do it while we're on this because my computer is going to blow up with a notification. And yeah, to, to, to the nine <laughs> listeners out there who are, are in our podcast group, nine. Um, you know that this is a good book if current airline pilots are looking at this going, I'm going to buy this book. So again, Andrew, I, I really like this book is awesome. And I, like I said, I would kill to have had that book in, you know, two years ago. So. Thank you for putting this out to people who are making that transition. Keith, um, definitely, definitely it is a good pickup and a good read. Thank you. Thank you. That, honestly, the, the, um, one, of, one of the things that I will say is that probably the hardest part about this book is the gener- it, it takes four years to pay off because it's one of those things where you have to get it and you won't get why it's important until later. So it's like, it's kind of that like reduced it's the delay effect. And that's, that's been our, uh, that's been the, the, I would say if there's a struggle with this process, it's been that be like, Hey, I promise this is going to come in handy later. Or like you're in your position, Alex, where you're like, well, I've already, I know pretty much what's in this book. It's not going to be as valuable to me as somebody who's in, who's a CFI. So that's been, that's definitely, that's definitely true. Yeah. Well, so Tony says this a lot. He says a good airline pilot's always learning. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And you hear that across the industry. Um, and I, I guarantee you that, yeah, you know, I've been doing this, uh, well, you know, I'm in my first year, but coming up on a year and, but I, I have some time at, at some regionals. Um, but I guarantee you that I, I will take a look at this book and learn something, right. Um, there there's cause you don't know it all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll give me the chance to uh, to go through and see what there is out there about this industry that I don't know. Well, I know there's stuff in there that that all of us can learn because I learned things writing the book because you had that's what you have to do. There's nobody who's written a book that just had all of that at their fingertips, stream of conscious, wrote it down. You you got to learn along the way, right? So. Uh, I know I learned stuff in this, but I was corrected about some things that, as I was writing this. I said, oh, I didn't know that's how that was supposed to work. Whoops. Um, but that's also the benefit of writing it with three different people, too, is that you get a bunch of different viewpoints. And especially since our careers span back to, I believe, Yolanda was hired to Trans Global. She's going to kill me if I get it wrong. But I want to say, I want to say 89, 90. So I have to... She's going to listen to this recording later and she's going to go, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yolanda, you know, she she has an incredible... Oh, there's also a foreign pilot section in there too. And this is what comes into that. Yolanda is actually a national of, uh, of the Netherlands. She's from Amsterdam. So she speaks with a very, very, you know, thick accent. She'll, she'll say she doesn't. She speaks, with it, but you can definitely tell she's Dutch. And uh, she had that experience of coming over here and going through the foreign, you know, foreign pilot. Well, she's a U.S. citizen, but, um, you know, coming over here and going through 
all of all of what needs to happen to become a pilot in the United States and uh, or got all of her ratings here and then became that. But yeah, she's she's traveled that. But she was a big advocate at the beginning to put in um, all of the there's a chapter that actually we didn't write the one chapter, the one chapter in this book we really didn't write was the foreign pilot chapter. We talked to somebody who just went through it mm. and we we're like, do you want to write this? for us or basically tell us all the information and in, in, in word in a word document we'll put it into a chapter so um and her name is escaping me right now because i don't have the book sitting in front of me because i'm sure it's packed away somewhere but um yeah that was so we we wanted that to we felt that was a very important thing to hit on as well yeah and you know you're you're terry you you did say something that was very interesting you said you know i'm going to buy this book because i know i'm going to learn something from it and it's it's not just that because you know a lot of people go well wait a minute you're already there you're a transglobal you're going to learn it on the line right but if you remember back to episode 117 of Squawk Ident flight 117 the leadership toolbox that's where I interviewed Captain Greg Jones on the podcast who coincidentally I recently flew with last week we got to fly together it's been about a year since we got to fly together we went to suriname uh, it was a big deal we both had to look it up on google we're like where's suriname um it's in south america and and it's a dutch country in south america so there's your whatever it is six degrees of separation but he said that what we do in our careers is that we have to fill our leadership toolbox with the tools we need to accomplish whatever the goal is, whatever the mission is, and you're going to learn these tools as you go throughout your entire career. You're not just going to learn it all at once, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. Let's get, let's get working here. You're constantly learning. And that is really something that every professional pilot should strive for. Now, in reading this book, the, you talked about, is it Suzanne, Suzanne flying for Atlas? Yes. Okay, so Suzanne, flying from Atlas, wrote the portion about the foreigner, foreign pilot coming to work in the United States for an airline. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I know, I'm sure a lot of your IOE students when you were over at Sandpiper, and a lot of my IOE students coming from Sandpiper, English was their second language. They were foreign Mm -hmm. pilots. They were maybe pilots completely you know, learned how to be a pilot in the U.S., but they were foreign nationals to this country. And, and so th- there were a lot of hurdles that they had that, like, you and I didn't. Yes. So, oh, yeah. So, and, and it's, it's important if you can get these helpful hints and helpful guidance through reading this book. That's, that's a great tool to have so that when you do get on the line, you go, ah, oh, that's what they mean. Yep. Yes, because it, yeah, you add the language barrier and then context too, because I speak Chicago and that is a very different, I don't have the accent for Chicago, but I know we know when I, when I'm talking, when I say sausage, it comes out a little different. So I get it. Um, But the point is, is that I'll say things that I know, but based on my lingo, based on my, you know, my, my social cue or my, my, uh, the topography, I guess, but I'm just not the word I'm trying to find in my head. Um, I will definitely lose the message to the, to the receiver. Right. And if they can even, if anybody can find a way to add that into their head before they get there, they'll might be like, I think he meant to say this, not that, or that is that because Andrew just doesn't speak at a, at a high level. So that's probably what they're, hey, um, because, forget about it. <laughs> forget don't, about even, it. don't even talk about putting ketchup on my dog. Huh? Come on now. Let's go to a game. The Cubbies are going to win. I tell you what. 
well, <laughs> Andrew's Andrew's right. Like it, it's the linguistics of how you talk. Like I believe that's where probably you're searching for linguistics. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's the same. The same how they caught uh, the Unabomber. Right? Was because of he wrote a certain way. Uh, and he like in his writing he wrote a certain way and they published it and his brother was the one that caught him he's like no that's that's the way my brother writes i don't know if you know that i didn't yeah. know that oh yeah no the, the guy who uh caught him was basically i think it was from philadelphia and the way he said water was wooder w wooder wooder right w-u-d-d-e-r can i get a glass of water and that's what sparked him of like well maybe you know there's something in the way that i talk if all airline pilots, all pilots should speak, and I say this loosely, should speak the same language, you know, and that's aviation English. So your book does a good job of, of that transition from a foreign pilot, which my sim partner was a foreign pilot. He's a foreign national, um, but he was trained here in the U.S., and he speaks great aviation English, which is what you should be speaking and that's it helps especially if you are a foreign national it helps to understand and i love how you guys talk in here there's a whole section in the back one of your appendices is um well different ones you uh, union terms um airline industry acronyms and glossary and industry terms in in the back here of all these different things that we may say one thing at Sandpiper may be different at Legacy, may be different at, at um, Transglobal. Like, we're all talking about uh, airport standby, right? That's what we call it. Tony knows it as something different. You guys call it field standby or whatever. But we all know the same thing. And that's where having at least, you know, a little bit of, like, insight to one another helps. You're Thanks for bringing that yeah. uh, you know, full circle. I like that. That was a great, good analogy. <laughs> Well, no, Andrew, I, I know it. Oh, good. Go I, I was just going to say, I know we talked to her before the show that you you had to go at a certain time. Are you still doing okay on time? Nope, that's fine. I'm having fun. Let's stay. Let's stay and okay. hang out. Okay. But you're, I'm sorry. So go ahead and say what you were saying. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, if any pilots are listening that want an interesting side gig, uh, writing glossaries is the worst job you could ever have. That is that. Believe it or not, that is about next to creating indexes. Um, they're just not fun. Don't you think? Oh, whatever. Just I can define it. No, because you have to go back and go. Oh wait, now I've defined it. Did I say something in that definition that isn't defined somewhere else or isn't common knowledge? How do you do? I. I can't even tell you. We hated writing those, but those are all us. That is that we didn't farm that out. That was, we basically said, uh, whenever somebody stops us in a conversation and goes, what, what is that? We basically put that in the, in a glossary. Yeah, so, you, and you, you just sparked a thought in my mind just to give the listener an idea of how effed up my mind is. Right. <laughs> so you say, you know, writing a glossary is like one of the worst things. And immediately I think of a film I saw last year that I thought was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And you just sparked that memory. It's called The Professor and the Madman. It came out in 2019. It's a biographical drama, a film directed by Farhad Safarina. I think it's, I don't know, I think that's how it said. Nailed it. It's uh, based on a book, <laughs> 1998 book, The Surgeon of Crowthorn. It was published in the United States as The Professor and the Madman. It's starring Sean Penn, Mel Gibson, Natalie Dormer, Eddie Marzen, Jennifer Ellie, and it goes on and on. And it's an actual 
fantastic kind of British period timepiece about the invention of a dictionary from the Webster's, was it university or, or what was it? Might have been Miriam. I, I don't, I don't actually know. No, the Oxford, the, the Oxford university Oxford. press and their project for the new English dictionary. And they had to define each word and come up with the source. And if they couldn't come up with the source and Oh my, it's, it's a phenomenal film. And if you're into, you know, literature and writing and, <laughs> you want to write glossaries for a living you know look at watch that movie and you'll probably change your mind because I, I one of them was a madman I, I, I might start crying <laughs> if I read that I'll just bring me too much bring, bring it back I just I don't know oh, I, I, no my nerdy self yes I'm interested in that I'm probably going to have to go hunt that down yeah I, I highly whenever I have it. time again yeah absolutely well you know a couple Q&A's before we move on to I want to hear about this open door policy that Asiana has now but um, let's let's talk a little bit about <laughs> some Q&A for you uh, now I, I just wanted to ask you a couple things now you have had this journey you said you're the only one in your family that kind of had this aviation bug and, and it was in part because you had supportive parents. It was also in part because of your location. You were in, near a general aviation airport. You got to see that. You got to get on a regional jet and fly some of the stuff that you ended up flying yourself as a pilot, as a captain, as a Czech airman. Now, we all stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. So it's a common thing that someone told me a long, long time ago. I've been saying it on the show here forever. And I try to celebrate that as much as possible. Who is the person whose shoulders for which you stood on that really helped you motivate you to move forward in your career and not give up? There are a few and they're perhaps, well, I have to say that my parents first and foremost, and, and really because um, I think of the situation, we were very middle-class, like very, you know, not, we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. It was a, it was very much a financial burden for me to get my private. Um, and, but my parents were both stuck in careers. They hated. Uh, my mom was the secretary. She is where I get my writing passion from. Uh, and read her and my dad are both big readers. The byproduct of being an introvert. My sister and I are both extroverts and we have absolutely zero idea how that happens. It's like a recessive gene, like redheads, but um, they, they did, they, they, and my dad was an accountant by, by training. They hated their jobs, hated it. And they'd always told my sister and I, they're like, just go do what you love. Don't, don't, don't do what we did. Just go do what you love. Um, and so there is no career. There is no book. There is no 787. There is nothing without that selflessness because I had been around plenty of my friends whose parents did not think that way and said, Nope, you're picking up the family business. Nope. You're going to school because there's no, there's no career in being an actor or actress. Nope. You're going to do this. And by the way, I mean, while being a pilot always has that wow factor for people, when you tell them that, when they asked me how much I made my first year, I told them I did. I had no shame. I'm like $20,000, $21,236. That's how much I made. And, and I have zero problem telling them that. And I, 
And by the way, I'm going to preface this as a side tangent because I think it came up last week or the week before about these signing bonuses uh, or how much how much people are getting paid right now. Fantastic. I never want to go back to it. Do I want no regional airline to exist? Yes. But I also don't ever want anybody to make that make what Tony myself had to make when we started. Yeah. And Terry. And Terry too. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievably ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what that was subhuman living. If but, I put the hours in at McDonald's, I would have made double. Yeah. Yeah. You right. Should, you could have stayed at your big box retailer and made a hell of a yeah, lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And you would have made management by then, you know, you'd, you'd own five McDonald's right now. Um, but, but so, so that's first and foremost, I always got to give them the biggest props. And then the, the second thing is probably like most the instructors around me that I was fortunate to be to to be come in contact with, yeah. and probably the very second one and uh, Trans Global does this everything disc, which is not a this is a big national program, but we do the disc assessment, which is everything disc is a oh I'm going to nerd out on this, but everything disc is basically a version of this personality test, and they it, they you know categorize you into four different quadrants and and. One thing that they do at, at Trans Global is they ask you like who your leadership mentor is and or who has this impact. And the reason that they do that is at the end of it, when you like you've, you've done all these activities, you share who your leadership mentor is or who your hero is and something like that. And so mine was actually my my flight uh, my flight team coach who throughout uh, college because. It, it was his his leadership style, his motivation, his his care. It had been I had I had had that in the past, but not in an aviation setting. And he was probably the first one to like. I mean, we we all to this day he can look back on the hundreds of hundreds of people that he's coached and count them all as friends. Most of them. I mean, there's some. He, we can't all be winners, right? But you know, like some, you know, there's these vast majority of people that that he has affected positively it throughout just being a teacher. He he chose not to go to the airlines. He mm-hmm. he was an intern at Legacy back back way before I'd been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, chose not to go to the airlines. Wanted to teach. Wanted to affect that positive change. He was built for it. He loves it. He mm-hmm. loved the area. He just wanted to stay there. So that's a big thing. And then the boss. And this is only coming up. My third one. And then I'm done. Um. There's plenty more, but this is this one just came to my head is my very first boss who up until recently was the head of maintenance buildings and, and grounds for the school district that my mother worked for. He was my first boss and it was grueling work. It was, you know, wake up at you know six in the morning, go mow lawns all day, go dig trenches, go do every I mean, every bad, not bad. I mean, it was fun when you had good people to work with. But it was manual labor, and that's what. And then when I started becoming a pilot, or when I started training my junior year, he kept me on throughout the entire winter. I'd work two nights a week. That would pay me a hundred dollars a week, or I would work two hours a day. That would pay me like a hundred dollars a week, and I'd have like one flight less in a week. And that was what, and along with what my parents could supplement as well. That was my one. I I did private pilot training from June from the end of sophomore year summer. Or no, so the end of junior year summer all the way through. It took me a year and two months doing one flight a week. 
Yeah. Wow. That is not the most productive way to do no. that. No. <laughs> no. So, so, um, that, but the, the boss, he kept me on, he did everything he could to keep me employed so that I could make money so that I could help my parents pay for my flight training. And that was what, and then when COVID happened, I'm sitting in my office, I'm writing a, one of the chapters. I don't even remember for this book and, uh, you know, staring at this, who knows what's going to happen to our world situation. And, uh, I, I texted him, uh, as soon as, as soon as trans global had, they hadn't released what the displacements were going to be, but I knew I was not going to work for a couple months at that point. And I texted him and I said, Hey Greg, you need, you need a free hand this summer. And he said, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the guys actually just didn't, you know, just said he doesn't, he wants, he, he'll make more money being a DoorDash driver. So yeah, if you want to come, uh, I'll pay $11 an hour. So I went and I made $11 an hour and I worked with two college students and uh, on the same tractor that I had used when I was in high school. And it was a great way to come back and go, wow, yeah, this is where I have come from. And this is what, you know, hard labor is like. Um, But I say this specifically to him because he was, I I still think he is a very, very, very intelligent person. um, And he was a very intuitive leader. He never fired anyone ever. He would, his, the, he oversaw the janitors and the principals would fire janitors because they just didn't like janitors. But for his staff, who he had the sole authority to hire and fire, he never had to fire anyone because he understood how to talk to people. He understood how to motivate people. He understood how to, how to handle situations, knowing yeah. what's a critical situation, not a critical situation. And that is something that I emulated whenever I was in a leadership role is how he handled that. And I did it. I took it to the, took it to the flight deck. I took it to as an FO, right? You can lead up. Yeah. I used it as an FO. I used it in, in this company and my other company. I've used it a million times. I wrote papers about how he handled himself. So this, and this is just for all the listeners. That's a great, I think that's important that I didn't, I didn't just name three, but oh, Chuck Yeager made me, you know, motivated to go be a pilot because I wanted to break this up. No, like it's people everywhere in your life that should do that because every single person you come in contact with makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. So those are the people that really, really helped make me and push me to continue to go, uh, to do what I want to do. So, yeah. And thank you for sharing that because those are important moments in a person's life when you can recognize just for a moment the people that changed you, led you, made you better, made you think about yourself Mm -hmm. and those around you, made you want to be a better person. And, you know, thank you so much for mentioning that because I think that makes the world a difference. It's part of the main reason I do this podcast is, is because I want to get the word out there about aviation. I wanted to inform people about what we do here at this level and how we got to this level and what to expect. And your book emulates the very same facts, just much more eloquently than I could ever put it. But it, it does the same. It, it teaches people what to expect. And a lot of times I think dreams are missed and opportunities are squandered because people hesitate out of fear not knowing what to expect. Yep. And if you can break down those walls brick by brick with all these tools to put in your leadership toolbox like this book and this podcast, then by all means, uh, it's, it's the way to do it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah. Um, you guys have any 
I, I got one. Yeah, okay. okay. I got one. Go ahead. I know you're going to ask your 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 other typical no, question I, that you ask. I'm actually, also, I'll leave that to you. But uh, one of the questions that I have is when you got started and you said you went to SIU and they kind of said, you, you know, hey, come down and check it out. And you looked at college programs. Were you aware of these college programs at the time? Or like, did your high school like talk about this? Or how did you find out about it? Because when I was going through, and I'm assuming you're about the same age as me, um, I got my private in 2005 after I graduated high school. So we're along the same time frame. Right, exactly. Same age. These, the college programs, the only one I knew of at the time was Embry-Riddle. And there's no way in hell that my dad was going to spend $200,000 a year so I could go to Amory Riddle and become a pilot and do all that. How did you find out about the college programs? That is such a great question. It was literally, because again, I didn't come, I had nobody, right? So Mm -hmm. it was, it is so funny to wax poetic a little bit about how crazy life is sometimes and things that we take for granted. If I wasn't at that high school at that, you know, at the right time with this as my, with this person as my counselor. And I can't, and this is so sad because I can't remember her name right now, but she, when SIU sent these flyers out to all of the high schools in the area, she slid that across her desk and said, Oh, you like flying? Well, maybe you should look at this. Um, she didn't necessarily have to hear that from in what I was saying. She was trained to hear it and she heard it and she said, you should go look into this. And I said, wow, that sounds cool because I'm a big nerd when it comes to airplanes. And at that point, I think I was driving. No, I wasn't driving. No, no, no. I was, I don't know. It was anyway, I still scare people when I pass by airports because I might lane hug somebody else. But um, so the, 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 she slid it across. And at that point I was like, oh, um, this is a call because I, I, I don't know what I had thought of prior to that, but I didn't know that that was a real route. Lewis University, which is right south of Chicago in Joliet or near Joliet's in Romeoville, but near Joliet. Um, I knew they had a program because they had a similar type of day. And I went there when I was in middle school. But at that point, I thought it was more maintenance. I didn't know exactly that they flew. I didn't really know what was going on. Um so yeah, it was this counselor. My sister is actually a counselor too. And, and what actually now to switch into my other life, Alpa back about five, six years ago, we realized that we needed, we were losing a lot of pilots to counselors, not knowing that they thought the only way you could be a pilot was military. Right. And that's how my parents thought it had to be. That's how a lot of people thought it had to be because, well, that's just how it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, their parents, their parents' generation, you know, were World War II pilots. That's how they got. Well, that's how they that, did it. So. That, that was my dad. If you listen to his journey, he fought at the time the Vietnam pilots coming out and like battling his way into it. So, I mean, really, the only chance you had was grind out seven thousand, eight thousand hours in the GA world, or go give your life away for six years in Vietnam. Yeah. And that's, that was not a guaranteed bet that you're coming back. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, 
that we we so alpa went to asca which is the american school counselors association and we made sure that we were like you guys need to know how to tell your students that there are many routes to aviation Mm -hmm. and especially at the time that we started that initiative the drone program was growing which had a lot less requirements to you know eyesight color blindness you had you know your color blindness has to be perfect right i mean like it's it's crazy so um yeah that's 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 a very, very important point. Um, I, th- I think counselors, yeah. I, I would venture to guess that counselors probably have the largest weighted impact on students out next to parents because they have the ability to fill in some gaps that, that students and the parents just wouldn't know about. Yeah. So yeah. guidance counselors are, are tremendous. I mean, a similar story. I, 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 you know, go back to, I forget which episode it was, but, you know, talking about my story, uh, 16 years old guidance counselor sliding a, a flyer across the, the desk saying, hey, you know, there's this aviation career education academy. Uh, you should go check it out. Uh, so, yeah, it's guidance counselors are they have so much influence. Um, and, and so, you know, I, kudos to you guys for trying to get the word out. Well, and that's, and that was kind of my, my big thing is like, how did you found out about it through a guidance counselor? And I wish that, that these were around when I, cause I grew up here in Southern California and, you know, most of the people were going off to, to, you know, be a doctor or be a lawyer, or be whatever. Right. And at that time I kind of wanted to fly. I didn't know it at the time. And I wish that there were these guidance counselors who knew about aviation programs and who could be like, Hey, if you're into this, I see that your dad does this. I see that you're looking at it. Here's X, Y, and Z schools, because I knew only of Embry-Riddle, you know, little mm-hmm. did I know there's Southern Illinois, Liberty, uh, Ohio University, Ohio State, Purdue, ASU, you know, these are all just off the top of my head, UND, you you know, all Mm -hmm. these different schools that have a great aviation program. Mm -hmm. And yet the word's not out there for, for college students or high school students going, hey, you're serious about aviation? Cool. Look at these 15 schools. Yeah. And guidance counselors can also uh, put you in the, in the wrong direction. Now for Terry, it really helped um, get him started on a career in aviation. If you want to hear about Terry's very first uh, time he was on the uh, podcast, yeah. you'll have to go back to Flight 27. Way Flight back. 27 on, on the 24th of February of 2020. It was the first time I had the privilege and honor to interview uh, Mr. Terry here. Uh, it's called Apaches, C-12s, UC-35s, and Battalion Commander with Colonel Terry Schooler. Um, it was one of my favorite podcast to record because you know i've known terry a long time and and you get to interview your friends and and i got to hear about how his guidance counselor kind of shifted his direction and i didn't know that about terry i thought he i thought i was his friend he never told me that he didn't share these things with me did did you uh you know learn how to to title shows back then because no because they were like really really long and some of these titles were like three lines long i think now i'm better but yeah and we've talked about this oh i know um but the guidance counselors can go in the opposite direction as well i can remember interviewing uh captains adelia sky roberts mm-hmm. uh it was one of my favorite shows of last season and in that episode she talked about how her guidance counselor told her oh you'll never be a pilot you're a woman you're an immigrant and you're mm. you know not a, 
don't have any money and this is not going to happen for you. And we're sitting there going, wait, your guidance counselor told you what? Yeah. They said that you should be a waitress because waitress makes make good tips. I mean, it's offensive. It's deplorable what some of these guidance counselors will tell these young minds. And, you know, thank you for, for being a part of educating them giving them the tools to lead these young people into a career in aviation that have turned out like, look at Adelia. She's a captain, Airbus captain in Miami. Mm-hmm. Fantastic career field. And she had every hurdle possible thrown at her. Wasn't that the same episode that they basically told her, use your, uh, use your God given talent, yeah, use your God given talents to help you further your career. Yeah. And broadcasting. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, we all sat there with our jaws open. I, I was, I didn't to get it. to make that show, but I listened to it and I can't believe that that's like what people like. I'm trying to find her episode. It's in the 90s, well, and that's not either hundreds. The sad part is, is that happens. There's, there's a very famous story, right? Well, within certain airline circles, I'm going to keep this as general as I can, but even up to a year ago, a very, very prominent individual who is running one of the big three programs that cultivates talent for big airlines went in front of a group of, of uh, women aviators at probably women in, women in aviation in March, 2022. And when they asked, how they ask some standard question, like, you know, you know, what happens when you are having trouble getting hired? And the guy's answer was some generic thing like, oh, well, you know, keep trying, make sure you get your app reviewed and then you know, list off all the standard things. And then at the end of that statement, he caps it off with a, a hilarious joke. He thought it was. Well, and if that doesn't work, you can just marry rich. <laughs> At a women in aviation conference, wah, he was wah, wah, promptly wah. fired from his role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, promptly. Yeah, I mean, wow. so yeah. it's still funny, uh, right? It's that's not still, funny. No, you know, not at all. It's, it's just it's dumbfounding that it still happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the episode that had Adelia on was Flight 108, pushing past barriers. See, that's a nice title. Yeah. Right? See, you shortened yeah. them down. That's See? a lot better. Yeah. Uh, that was back in uh, the second of May of 2022, and we had the privilege to interview her. Um, we had uh, Roger and Rob was were on, and we interviewed Captain Adelia, and her story is is amazing. So yeah. if you haven't heard that episode, I highly recommend after this one go back and, and take a listen to that one as well. Uh, now, gentlemen, we've gone well past the uh, the time that we were going to allot. I know you have some packing to do. You got to find your e- what your EFB and your kit bag, and <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> it's in a box somewhere. Get, as long as I get the EFB, as long as I get the EFB and you know the safety vest, the, the checklist, the safety vest, yeah. yeah. Gotta have the safety vest. It's always a oh, safety it's the vest. Seven eighty seven. There is no paper checklist. Oh, jeez. I have a little button that I click, and it comes up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And if something isn't done, it's not green. Oh. It's, it's a tough life. I just, so is it almost like that mechanical button. checklist in Terry's airplane that they just flip all the little switches, except this is on a touch screen? <laughs> I think that was only a, a Legacy Airlines thing. I don't think Transglobal doesn't do that. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think, no. I don't think, tra- I don't think uh, Transglobal does that. No, no. That's, a, that's a leftover from the MD-80. Okay, well, Terry, you don't have a yes. mechanical little checklist on the 7-3 that like, you have little flip switches? The toggles? No, ours is ours is actually a little card that sits oh. on the uh, on top of the glare shield, and you pull it out. Yeah. It uh, it unfolds for all the uh, 
emergency stuff, but the standard stuff is on the outside. So the uh, I know for Legacy, they have uh, like right in their middle between their throttle quadrants, like at the bottom of their pedestal, it's uh, a mechanical checklist for Those have the been deactivated. Though. Yeah, I don't think they're there anymore. Oh no, no, I fl- I jump seated I mean, on one and it was still there. This was like there? within like the last. But they couple don't months. use it. Oh no, they used it. Oh my god, hundred percent. It's it's takeoff and landing, and they literally flip a light for one side, and they go yeah, and they knock all the yeah. toggle switches down. Yeah, and then when they go to land, they flip it the other way and they knock all the toggle oh switches down. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Great do have, technology. Do you have time, Andrew, to hang out, or do you want to go? It's up to you. Yeah, I'll hang out. Okay. No, I'm fine. Uh, yeah, for a while more. Yeah. Okay. So what I wanted to, before we you know wrap up the show today, we have some audio that we want to get to, but I also wanted to talk about Asiana's open door policy. We, we, we quibbed about it earlier, but you know, it's, it's, uh, is that the right word? I don't know. Asiana Airlines from BBC.com. Passenger arrested for opening the aircraft door during a South Korea flight. A man had been arrested. Uh, for doing just that. All 194 passengers survived the flight, which landed safely, but with its door still open at Diengu International Airport on Friday. Some passengers fainted, while others had breathing problems. I don't know why, 200 plus miles an hour of wind in your face is not a problem, right? Uh, breathing problems. All right, all right. Are- as, a, as, a, as a self-respecting half Korean, I have to correct you. Oh, yes, oh, please. The, oh, please. Uh, the name of the airport yeah. is Tegu. Oh, it's... The D is pronounced like a T? It, it's, yeah. Daegu. De, 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 de it's, it's a soft T. It's a soft T. Daegu. Daegu. I want to say yes. right. Daegu. 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 Yep. Thank you. Yes, my friend Danny Kim over in New York will be very proud. Daegu <laughs> International Airport uh, on Friday. Thank you for correcting me, Terry. Um, so the man in his 30s said he was feeling suffocated and wanted to get off quickly. <laughs> Yonhap News Agency reported. Uh, police said that the man claimed during questioning that he was stressed after losing his job, according to the report. He is mentally struggling right now and losing his footing. We could not investigate him properly due to his state, a local police officer told reporters, adding that the man could not be asked any questions as he was not in a normal state. Flight OZ-8124, an Airbus A321-200 jet, had taken off from Jeju Island on Friday about 1.45 local time, and it was... Did I say that right? Yeah, you got a thumbs up from Terry. Okay, good. And it was landing about an hour later. A male passenger opened the emergency exit door. This was the three L door, I believe. There's a video that you probably all have seen it on social media. Um, the flight attendant had not been able to stop him because the plane was about to land. Witnesses recounted to local media. They said that the man had also tried to jump out of the plane after opening the door. That would have ended badly for him. Passengers have described the panic on board. It was chaos, with people close to the door appearing to faint one by one, and flight attendants calling out for doctors on board through broadcasting. One 44-year-old passenger told Yonhap. I'll put a link in the show notes. You guys can read the whole story, but... The question was, how come they could open the door? I thought the doors couldn't open when you're flying along. I might, I might have an answer to that. Let the, let the, uh, the junior might, pilot I'm, have I might have an answer to that. So they said they were on approach to land, right? Yes, sir. It was. 627 feet off the ground. Okay. So their pressurization system was already set down to, to normal uh, air pressure. So using the door, it opens inward. The, normally the pressure keeps it. Oh, that door, door opens... 
upward. Does it? It's hydraulically assisted, and oh, that's okay. what actually opened the door. So here's here's the story um, for us Airbus pilots. Oh, I'll let you. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're the so only one on the, the show The 2L right door, now. which is the emergency exit full-size door on the new 321s, are full-size, and they have an, a hydraulic accumulator that assists the door opening. And every six months when I go to training, uh, now it's not six months anymore. Now it's like once a year, right? Yeah. So every time I go to training, I have to physically activate one of the trainers okay so you go the door's armed you pull down on the handle or you spin the handle or whatever it is i forget what's on that door everyone's a little bit different um the door will open crack open it'll break the seal and the reason it breaks the seal is because the pressure outside of the airplane is the same as the pressure on the inside of the airplane which is what happens right before you land usually a couple thousand feet for off the ground a couple miles from landing everything should be neutralized and the door opens and then you have to wait three seconds why because the slide pops out of a, a compartment underneath the floor of the cabin it pops out and it inflates and it goes out and back over the back of the wing well the air pressure from the 200 mile an hour or 160 knots whatever they were traveling right before touchdown ripped that whole mechanism completely off that normally the wind pressure would have repushed the door closed, right? But it has this assist, hydraulic assist accumulator that pressurizes the door open. And it opens pretty dramatically because they tell you in training, all right, open the door and pull your hand away from the handle because after the three seconds that this takes for the slide to inflate, that door will open and rip your hand right and pull you right out of the airplane. Um, that's how strong it is. That is the only reason why that door could open. And if you look mm. at some of the photos online, you see that the door swings open and forward mm. and it's all bent because of the high pressure of the airflow. So, yeah. So I was partially right. That, you were. That the air pressure, at the least air, of that. The air pressure part was absolutely correct, yeah. Uh, if he tried to have do, do that at uh, 10,000 feet, I don't think he would have been able to open the door. However, yeah. we don't know. If it's a fault in the system that because that particular door is, is one of the only ones that has that three second delay and I could be off by, you know, some minor details, but that's generally how it works. And then it hydraulically assists. The other doors aren't like that. So mm. I'm sure the NTSB is going to, or I guess not the NTSB, but whatever Asiana's, uh, governing authority on accident investigation will investigate and Airbus will get involved and I'm sure there'll be some kind of news about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see the follow-up on that of how that was actually, how it was actually able to be uh, opened, especially in flight, you know, like. Yeah, while, while you're flying. Yeah. You generally don't want more, you don't want to make the emergency door more complicated than it is, right? Because it's supposed to work if everything is completely broken on the airplane. Mm -hmm. But you got to ask yourself, this pretty, pretty much is going to seal up them. Going to, they're going to have to put like something, whether it's a squat switch or an accelerometer somewhere inside. I mean, accelerometers are cheap nowadays. You, 
my aeronautical engineering background that I don't have. You can just throw in an accelerometer and it can see that it's not moving anymore. And, there's one oh, in my phone. Time to, yeah, there's one in your phone. They're like 10 bucks. You throw an accelerometer in there with some power source and then he goes, oh, yeah, they probably do want to open the door right now because we're not moving. Or, oh, I'm still str- violently traveling through the air at 160 miles or whatever it thinks. Yeah. I don't know. There's just, I don't know how they're going to be able to keep that just from going around because now that that secret's out, Mm-hmm. copycat time yep yeah i personally don't think that they should televise anything not mass shootings not anything like that they should just say an event happened well that's why uh like suspect was terminated in san diego instantly um when i used to live down in san diego they would not uh advertise the uh bridge jumpers in coronado on the tv well, because they don't because, want people copycatting and yeah. you know causing the traffic. They just right. say, oh, there's a major delay on the Coronado Bay Bridge. Something I wish that yeah. uh, the San Francisco Tribune would have done in the <laughs> 80s and 90s because yeah. they had to put up fences around the Golden Gate. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, uh, I'm just glad that you were <laughs> witness to that story because God. we all kind of laughed a little bit about that um, when we read it this week. Um, but yeah, it can happen mm-hmm. and it'll lead to hopefully a future improvement of how that door is operated and hopefully it won't lead to any coffee cutters out there. Well, gentlemen, recently I received some audio feedback from a listener, from Stieg. He sent us something from the website, from SpeakPipe. And I just, I was so excited to hear it. And I want to play that for all of you now. Hey guys, how you going? Uh, Stig here. Stig is my alias, of course. I'm an Airbus A350 pilot that flies for a large operator. And the reason I'm sending you this audio is uh, to thank you for your help. You don't know about your help, how you help me, but um, I'm a non-native speaker, English speaker, I should say. And um, I was due to renew my English language test about six months ago. And I started looking for aviation-related uh, podcasts, and I came across you guys. And um, I downloaded the old episodes and I started listening to it to prepare for my test. I did the test. I got level six, which means I don't ever have to do this test again. So thank you very much for that. The only problem is that in the process, I became a huge fan. So now I'm very anxious waiting for the new episodes to come out every month or so. Um, So... That's my story. I would like to thank you again for your great podcast, uh, for the effort you have every month to put out new material. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'll see you guys around. Thank you. So thanks again, Steek, for sending that in. Uh, It's so nice to always, uh, you know, when I get these listener feedbacks, because you'd be surprised how much it motivates all of us to keep this podcast going, to keep it going. I know a lot of you have noticed that it's, I've slowed down quite a bit. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of reason for that. Uh, I'm going to drop some, some truth bombs here for all of you listeners that here we are about an hour and a half into this podcast and you're going you're gonna to hear that I am going to be going to recurrent training next month. It's my annual recurrent training for the Airbus A320. The other day I was flying and uh, we were climbing through, I don't know, whatever thousand feet as we're getting to the top of climb and I got a company message. 
on my tablet, on my work tablet, on my EFB. And I went, oh, what's this? Watch it be a reassignment, I say to the captain. I pull it up, and it's an HI6 message. Now, we have CCI messages. We have HI6 messages. Usually, the HI6 message is like, hey, your medical is about to expire. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And I thought, well, my medical is not about to expire. What is this? So I clicked on it. And it said, congratulations, first officer. Tony, aviator Tony, you have been awarded Airbus. Captain Los Angeles. So, yeah, I guess I'll be joining uh, Captain Rob's uh, exciting training uh, ranks here pretty soon. Captain Rob, who couldn't make it today to the podcast, uh, is in the middle of IOE right now uh, for his, his upgrade out of Dallas on the Airbus. So, yeah, um, I was told, I got a follow-up email a couple days later. I was told that I should expect a class date pretty soon, uh, sometime in July. So, yeah, I, I thought it was another year away, honestly, because I'm about 36% in base, which means of all the FOs that are based in Los Angeles, I am 36% from the top. So I thought, well, you know, it's going to be another year or so. But I guess there's a lot of FOs that just don't want to be third from the bottom, as what I will be as of right now, <laughs> third from the bottom. And the only, the only saving grace is Legacy Airlines does not have field ready or airport standby or airport ready reserve um, we don't have that we have short call and long call and I'll probably be on short call and get the phone call going we need you in Los Angeles in three hours can you make it <laughs> like, uh, depends on what traffic's like <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I look forward to that new adventure um, and someone told me recently oh, why are you going to recurrent why don't you just tell them hey i'm gonna upgrade in a month skip it i said well you know that's free training i'm just gonna go for four days and go through all the motions in the right seat and then i'll go back a month later and do it all from the left seat and i'll be a little bit sharper i mean i'm not afraid of training i love training so yeah you'll also be in dallas in july and i'll be in dallas in july oh there you go so you're saying you're gonna have a pool uh, we have a lazy river that's a five-minute oh, walk from my house. Okay, there so you go. you're more than welcome to come. De-stress, uh, de-stress, and float in that for a couple days. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much. So, so thank you. Uh, everybody's clapping quietly in the background because they're podcasters. <laughs> but thank you, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the adventure, and of course, I'm going to share it with all of you. So. With that said, my, between schedules, uh, all of us have had crazy schedules. Uh, this summer is not going to get any easier. Nope. They're already projecting that we're going to have a lack of air traffic controllers to the point where we're going to have extensive ground delays going into a lot of major destinations. I know JetBlue and some of the other airlines on the East Coast have started by canceling thousands of flights over the summer already in anticipation for these. I think what's happening is they're just not getting the slots that they were anticipating, so they, they oversold. And now they have to cancel flights because there's just not going to be the time, uh, the air traffic control, time metered management, whatever they call that. It's our TMU, right? Time mm -hmm. management unit. Um, so it's going to be a crazy summer. Um, so the podcasts, you know, we're coming out fewer and fewer every month. At, like Tick said in that uh, audio feedback, you know, about once a month. I used to do it once every week. And then I went to once every two weeks and once every three weeks. And now I'm getting closer to once a month and and that's okay for a while uh there's some other big big news uh on my personal life which will will come out as time goes on uh we all have growth going on you're moving mm -hmm. you know uh we've got uh alex um is going to be moving to another 
country, really. What's that? <laughs> Texas? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. They speak I mean, English in yeah. Texas? Some parts. Part, partner, you're going to yeah. start having that y'all. southern twang. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe a little bit. What's up, y'all? How y'all doing today? Uh, you want to come over some barbecue I'm and a, some iced tea? Come I'm on, I'm going to hit you with a y'all and a dude in the same sentence, and people are going to look at me going, what the hell did you just say? What? <laughs> They're going to correct you on that, too, and how you spell y'all, too. So, yeah. Well, yeah. we look forward to hearing about that, and, you know, and and Terry's got some big news, too. Terry, you're going to drop that bomb now, or...? Do it. Uh, Going to training in three weeks. Four. Seven, five, seven, six. Seven, five, seven, six. So you started on the bus and you're. No, you started on oh, the seven three. The guppy. The guppy. So you started on. <laughs> so you started on the seven three, and you're not even there a year, and you're already upgrading to a seven five seven six. And then you're going to do all that international stuff that Andrew was talking about at the beginning of the show. Yep. Yep. Looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, going to be fun. Good. And if you have any questions about it, now you know who to call. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. The Ghostbusters. 2,200 hours in that plane. It's, it's a great airplane. I did not leave it because I didn't like the plane. It flies. The 7.6 flies even better than the 7.5, which is weird. Everybody gets that Atari Ferrari excitement over the 7.5, but the 7.6 is a two-finger airplane. You can fly that like a 152. Hey, Such wow. a nice. Fam- Family awesome. show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. <laughs> well last audio we're going to share before we wrap it up today this was supposed to be shorter shows damn it uh last audio uh one of our co-hosts had a meetup his first meetup well it's the show's first meetup well yeah i mean yeah I, that too because yeah. i yeah it's you know what i was happy to do it we had a we had a listener so like i said there's two keys right mm-hmm. there's uh, I don't want to say young Keith and old Keith, but the, uh, there's the the kid Keith who's in UND, who's okay. met up with him a couple times. Student Keith. Student Keith. That's the one who I keep trying to push the book to. Keith, buy this book. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, Keith who lives in Little Rock, who wrote into the show. Who's also kind of a student pilot, right? Isn't no, he no, no. He, he's got his, he's got his uh, sport and pri- private. He's starting his on his instrument. So, I mean, so I guess yeah, if you want to Starting on his instrument. He's yeah, he's still, he's still a student, but yeah. he's, he's a licensed pilot. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and he was like, hey, I see that Alex is in Little Rock a lot, and I know, you know, uh, Legacy goes through there. Sandpiper goes through there. Like, if any of you are ever in the Little Rock area, please, like, do not hesitate. And uh, so I, I emailed him and we started exchanging emails back and forth and we missed on one cause I screwed up my days and we got another one. We went out to dinner, um, to Gus's fried chicken in downtown Little Rock. I, oh, yeah. I, I highly recommend Gus's chicken. I see the nods from, from the two gentlemen here. They know Gus's chicken. Um, and, uh, met up with him and his son, Liam. And, uh, we, uh, it was, it was a good night. And, uh, what Keith doesn't know is I'm coming back through little rock again, which this is all news now. And I will have an extended time where he can take me up in his airplane. Oh, well, lucky him. Yeah. You just he, invite yourself over. Hey. Well, he, he, and you'll hear it in the, you'll hear it in the audio that he's about to play that he, he has extended an invite that if I have a longer overnight there where we can go up in his airplane, uh, he would gladly take me up and watch me struggle just like you did. So it's going to come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the audio from that. Hey, Tony, what's going on? It's Alex live from the road out here in Little Rock. Um, out here, and I'm with one of our listeners. It's my first official meetup with uh, one, of our fir- uh, one of our fans here. Uh, his name's Keith. He's written into the show. He told me to, hey, if you're ever in Little Rock, Give me a call. We'll go out to dinner. We'll do something. I'd love to meet up. So, Keith, how's it going? 
Hey Alex, yeah, um, yeah, Keith Carlson here in Little Rock, and and my son Liam uh, came out to say, "Hey Liam, hi." Okay, yeah, very enthusiastic <laughs> as you can tell, twelve year old. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, um, no, I've been just uh, enthralled with uh, obviously with uh, with the show, with everything that you're doing, Tony, and so forth, and and um, then just uh, listening to Alex's journey, and and I kind of picked up a couple of times. You mentioned Little Rock, and and so. Uh, um, and, and I'm a big listener of the APG show. So, uh, captain, uh, captain Jeff came through several months ago, had lunch. And so I said, you know what, let's get Alex out here. I'd love to meet. And, and, uh, um, I'm, a uh, I actually just passed my private pilot check ride this week. So yay. Um, and, uh, anyway, so we've had a blast. We had some Gus's, Gus's fried chicken and, and, uh, just, uh, was great to, to hear more of Alex's story and to, and to connect. And that's what I love about what you've done. Tony is, is, is build a community, you know, and, and brought people onto the show like Alex and, and everybody else that, that, um, that you guys connect with and inspire. So we, uh, can't thank you enough. And Alex, man, it's just been a blast. I feel like we haven't stopped talking. We haven't. And we it's have been not awesome. stopped talking. It's been so awesome. <laughs> Loved it. Every minute of it. So Alex is so so so. One of our next times that Alex is in town, um, we are absolutely going to go up. I have a Technum P two thousand eight. We're going up. We're going to record. We're we're going to get to see Alex oh, back in the GA world, landing an airplane. So take oh, that, Tony. God, <laughs> don't don't start this with Tony again, please don't. <laughs> it should be fun, just yeah. like it was with Tony. Right, and uh, hopefully my re- reflexes will be good, and I won't flare at thirty feet just like Tony did. Right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, um, man, just uh, Alex, thanks a ton, man, for coming out. This has been Thank- a blast. Thanks for having um, me. This was this was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. We uh, you know we tried to coordinate a couple of times earlier this month, but uh, now this is great. So I can't wait to do it again, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. We'll we'll do it again. All right, we'll send it back to you in the studio, Tony. And back to the studio we are. And with Alex in the studio, how did you do that? Uh, um, it's the magic of TV. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, I, I just I just want to wrap it up with that one. Thank you so much, uh, Keith, for, for putting up with Alex here and, and hosting him there in Little Rock and going to Gus's. I, I was just in Gus's in Atlanta, and I don't think I was raving about that. I even posted about that. I Man, love that Gus's place is amazing. Oh, God. Every time I go to Little Rock oh, and I have the time, God. it's like five, ten minutes from the hotel. Yeah. <sighs> love it. Yeah. But then you got to go run afterwards to dissuade the guilt. But yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 we're not going to talk about that. That's another show. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up today. We just want to say thank you to all of you out there. And, and thank you so much to Terry and Alex for joining me in the studio for the first time. Uh, it was fun. This, this, it's kind of small in here though. This, hey, this closet's kind of hey, tiny. You, you know, if you knock down that wall and knock down that wall and that wall and, and that wall. That's the be, third wall. Oh, okay. Right, so, that's the third wall. Oh. The fourth, fourth wall. wall? Yeah, that's the fourth, the fourth wall. wall. Okay. Exactly. So okay. if we knock down those three, I'm pretty sure it'd be, it'd be nice and We'd decent. be outside? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I, I want to say thank you to Andrew Ross because, you know, what you've done here is amazing. Um, and for those that want to learn more about you, more about the book, more about your business, where can they go? 
Uh, AirlineTransition.org is definitely our kind of home base right now. We also do write articles for Aero Crew News as well, um, wow. as both all three of us kind of rotate and uh, basically whatever we want to talk about. Uh, we've talked about union stuff and picketing in this last few because it's a hot topic item. Yeah. And then uh, DEI, CRM and stuff like that lately. And we've I think we've got articles written all the way through the end of the year. So uh, that's another place. And then... Yeah, but mainly airlinetransition.org. We we have all of our emails come right to my phone, so I'm pretty responsive to all of it. And uh, yeah, can't wait to thank you. thank you all for having me. This was a lot of fun. I uh, I hope I find my EFB by tomorrow, and I won't be uh, like, oh, it's, I said it an hour, and now I'm like, well, this was too much fun to just not, you know. Yeah, I kind of oh, know well. the feeling. It, it it sucks <laughs> you in. It like trust me, I know that feeling. You, you think you're going to do an episode and be like, oh, I'll be done in an hour. Three and a half hours later, you're still sitting here going, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, know. I think my kids went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's late on, on your side of the coast there. Um, <laughs> and we thank you to all you listeners out there. For, for putting up with us, sticking with us all these years and listening to these long format podcasts. You know, we really do appreciate your listenership. We love your getting your feedback, so please keep them coming. And we hope you enjoyed listening to this flight as well. We hope that you pay it forward by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Please make sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast or on whatever platform you're listening on. Make sure you click follow. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. I'll put a link in the show notes for airlinetransition.org as well. Make sure you check them out. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us. Just search Squawk Ident Podcast. S-Q-U-A-W-K. Squawk. A lot of people don't know how to spell that. I'm surprised. Pilots, too. Ident. I-D-E-N-T. I-D-E-N-T. Ident. Podcast. Squawk Ident Podcast. And one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators keep the dirty side down out there be safe and take care of each other bye y'all see ya see ya ciao meow meow (laughs) you're on guard (laughs) where is he that's what Rob says where is he where is he there he is you're on guard there he is